0: Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is episode 253, 2019 BGA Awards. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Happy holidays, everyone. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. We're so glad to be with you during this holiday season, whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, us for the rest of us, whatever it is that you may be celebrating, or if you're listening to this episode in the future, and it's just an ordinary day, let's celebrate it by talking about some great board games, Anthony. Yeah, absolutely. What better way to celebrate the holidays than for us
1: to off-air argue with each other for hours over one of the best games of the year it was a blast it just reminds me of the holidays it's amazing.
0: <laughs> well we could have argued off the air about all the star wars movies and all the streaming movies and services least, that are out yeah, there too we've really done that before i don't know <laughs> <laughs> let's not do it again well, let's do let's save that for a special patreon back episode because just like the holidays if you're not fighting with family it's not the season of giving yeah <laughs> it's 100 percent, man And by giving, we mean giving grief. That's pretty much, you know, the season. So hopefully you're having a wonderful holiday season. And again, if you're listening to this somewhere off in the future, Anthony and I did an episode during the holidays, which is pretty rare during this holiday season when everyone else seems to be spending time with family and friends. And uh, for us, this is spending time with family and friends at the podcast. So... We got a great episode for you. We are doing our BGA Awards. We do this each and every year. We review the year, and recently we reviewed the last decade, which was a little more phenomenal. But, you know, 2019 deserves its own little place. As we wrap up the year, there was some fantastic games and some not so much. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, or if this is your very first episode to Board Gamers Anonymous... Anthony and I have been putting up episodes over six years now, not to mention Every Night's Game Night and the best website for board gaming, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. I guarantee you're going to find something you don't find anywhere else, especially our top 100 list. It has everything you could possibly imagine. If you're looking for a great game, you're going to find it on the website. We have our YouTube channel and we're pretty much everywhere that you could possibly want us And again, since it is the holiday season and since we are here, thanks to so many people. Everyone who's listening out there, thank you. Everyone who shares the podcast with people, thank you. And for those of you who are able to sponsor us through patreon.com slash BGA, thank you so much. Without you, we wouldn't be able to get these podcast episodes out. All right, Anthony. So why don't you talk a little bit about our BGA Awards and what our listeners had to do to uh, bring us this point?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we had a lot of games for each of these categories so we have seven different categories this he- this year we're going to run through and you know just pulling c- games out that one of the two of us had played and thought deserved to be on the list ended up with far too many for us to talk about and probably far mm-hmm. too many to narrow down and pick one so we wanted to get it down to five nominations so i put up polls on boardgamersanonymous.com i asked you the listeners our facebook followers everybody else in the slack group from the patreon and everything else to go in there and vote for which games they thought should be nominated and presumably which game they like best. So that helped us narrow it down to the top five. So thank you to everybody who did that. We used that not only to finalize our nominations list, but also to some degree to help us break ties if we got really contentious over what game should win. And we, so we might mention that in terms of what game came up on top here. So we don't necessarily have an official like listeners award, but we will mention later the listeners game of the year. And I don't think you'll be super surprised based on what <laughs> you've heard from our listeners in the last month or so, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Also as part of all that, I put together a top 10, like a personal top 10 that I'll be posting on boardgamersanonymous.com dot com here in the next week. So probably around the time this episode goes up, uh, Jason over at every night, it's game night posted his top 10 on uh dot as well. And if you know the two of us, you know that mine will be a bunch of euros and his will be a bunch of thematic dice chuckers and so regardless of what type of game you like between those two lists you should get a good sense of what was good this year but um yeah that's it's a lot of fun stuff and kind of helped us bring together the seven games we're gonna award today
0: yeah it was an interesting year for 2019 obviously it was a little bit different of a year because anthony and i weren't able to attend the same conventions this year and because a lot of games that we saw come out this year and it seems to be more and more of a thing where the big releases are Kickstarter releases instead of being con releases. You know, it's it's changed up the industry a little bit and it's changed up the year a little bit more. There's definitely more board gamers out there. There's more people coming to the conventions. There's more people getting games to the table. There's a greater diversity of games, a greater diversity of designers. But yet, it doesn't seem to be the you know the biggest of years i i and I, I kind of flash back anthony back to our last episode where we talked about the past decade and you know it seems like 2019 kind of just settled in there with the rest but you know other than a a minor highlight here and there it doesn't seem to be any particularly special in comparison to the last decade
1: yeah yeah i was actually talking to this about this with some friends just yesterday at the board game store locally to me, games unlimited. And we were going over like, what came out this year? Like what's a big game. And obviously there's wingspan, which we'll talk about a little bit later. That was the big mega hit for the year, right? That defined the year in board games, but that wasn't, yes, that game didn't do anything new mechanically. It wasn't like we didn't have a Gloomhaven this year. We didn't have a scythe this year. We didn't have anything like redefining games. Nope. And when we looked at the top shelf in the game store of the new releases, all but one of them, like of the 12 games up there, were re-releases, reprints, or 2.0s of older games. And that's kind of what this year was for me. And when I put these lists together, the one category that I had to narrow down the most was the best 2.0 release of the year. There was a lot Mm -hmm. of them. And there was a lot of good ones. There was, I don't know, at least a dozen or so games that I would consider for this award. So... A lot, a lot of re-releases, a lot of old stuff coming back. And that's, you know, Kickstarter does that, too. So I think for me, that's what the year felt like. I know next week we're going to go into this more, but it certainly impacted what ended up on our nominations this year.
0: Definitely. And I think a lot of the Kickstarter games that people were really looking forward to are showing up or showing up a little bit late. Mm -hmm. So there is a little bit more of that kind of like a good portion of gamers are getting a game. And then the vast majority of them are coming very late to those Kickstarter games because by the time those backers have gotten theirs, you know, got up to speed with it and then got it to the table. And then if anybody else wanted it or wanted to talk about it, they had to wait a good amount of time before it hit retail. And I think that's probably something we're going to see more and more. But we'll talk more about the year in review and the upcoming year on our next episode. All right, Anthony. Let's get on to the 2019 BGA Awards. So, what do we have up for our first category? Yeah, this is our fun one. We'll start it off with the one negative one we do every year, and it's
1: it's not really negative per se because this is kind of we're teasing a little. These are these are generally good games, not not always amazing games, but they're not like bad games, right? So, this is our most overproduced of the year award, and <laughs> this is like a category you can't not have anymore. in 2019. Sure. You've got, yes, every game costs a hundred bucks. Now every game has miniatures. Every game is painted and like big deluxe boards and poker chips. And sometimes it's too much, right? <laughs> so uh, these are the five games that we felt were too much this year, both because of price and just generally like what they do at the table. Sure. So we had Tapestry, which okay we talked about at length when it came out, when I reviewed it. And this was just it didn't need to be everything it was. It didn't need to be a $100 game. It was, it's it's a nice little abstract that looks like a Civ game. It doesn't need to be this big sprawling thing, right? Uh, Cthulhu Death May Die, which was honestly like the shark jumping moment of our hobby, I think, with that three foot tall baby sized Cthulhu statue. <laughs> oh man, my, my buddy Michael gave us, gave me grief for not including this on our most ridiculous components list. And I was like, oh yeah, we did forget that. I forgot that was a component, not just a statue. (laughs) Um, We have U-Boot, which is by all accounts an amazing war slash uh, cooperative simulation game about running a U-Boat in World War II. But it has a giant cardboard submarine on the table and it is massive. It looks amazing, but it's a lot. Why is it there? Um, we have AEG's Edge of Darkness, which is a hundred and fifty dollar box that is the same size as Gloomhaven and has about thirty mechanics in the box, five hundred cards. This thing took me hours to sort, just looking over everything. It's ridiculous how much is in here, uh, and by all accounts, not many people have gotten it to the table because it's just that hard to get out. And then Cloudspire, which I mean, Chip Theory Games kind of thrives on this. This is their whole thing. This is what they do: is overproduce games. So I think they'd be proud to be nominated for this. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it ends up creating a $165 game that looks cool. It's a MOBA and it's a board game and the ratings look amazing. and I would love to try it, but I'm not paying for it. (laughs) So what do you think? Like what caught your eye this year is like just way too much.
0: So maybe we should really call this the first world (laughs) category. (laughs) Where it's just... Just dripping with components, dripping with everything else. I guess what's probably interesting here is so many of these games, I guess with the exception of Tapestry, and I believe U-Boat, is a Kickstarter. So we've seen this over the last several years where these games become overproduced because in either order to reach their funding goal or just to make a lot more money, they keep adding stuff to the game that raises the price to a point where When you talk to the producers or the designers, they're like, this could never sell in retail. And I'm like, of course not, because you produced it to the point where a retail store could never even handle something like this, at least not at this point. I mean, I think at some point in the future, we might see retailers carrying these two $300 games, but... Yeah, I, you know, the Cthulhu oversized piece is kind of crazy. But as you mentioned, I think there is a justification to not think of it as a component piece, even though you can, I guess, somehow use it in the game. U-Boat, I think, does a fine job. I don't feel like it's overproduced because the, the basically the board is the boat. Mm-hmm. Edge of Darkness... You know, I get it. And I mean this is the game that they've been wanting to produce for the very, very longest time. So uh, I can't hurt them too much on this because having played Mystic Veil, you know, it always felt like it needed more, so I can't I can't really ding in on that. CloudSpire, as you mentioned, Chip Theory Games kind of makes their rep based upon how overproduced things happen to be. And since they don't do miniatures, I can't really hurt them on that either. So I'm going to go back to what was your initial review, and I've since played it several times. Tapestry was a game that was obviously overproduced, and Jamie Stegmeier did talk about that. So, yeah, I'm going to say Tapestry, just because, you know, it didn't need to be that big, especially since it was a lot of Tetris piecing together, so to speak. So, yeah, Tapestry is my overproduced most overproduced game of the year. I agree.
1: It's not. And for all the same reasons. Like, as you said, all four of the rest of these were on Kickstarter. So that feeds into that. that they, it benefits them to go overboard because that's what people will pay for. In Cthulhu, that statue was optional, I believe. You didn't have to order it with the game. It wasn't like you have to spend $200 and it comes with a statue. And this tapestry, it could have been... I don't know if it would have been a better game because obviously the game is the game and it's not a bad game necessarily. But at $100, that production level just made it really, really difficult to recommend. And then there's going to be expansions to kind of fix and tweak and adjust those things, which is going to end up making it a $150 game. And I cannot imagine recommending that for what this ended up being. So I agree. Tapestry all the way. All right, Anthony. So what's up next? All right. So next up is the family board game of the year. This is the award for lighter games, things that you can play with your family, your friends, people who don't normally play board games. So we obviously review a lot of heavy stuff on this show. We're not purely heavy board gamers, but that's a lot of what we talk about. So this is kind of the category for everything that's like below that stuff we'd play with significant others and parents and siblings. Um, So this one has our first mention of Wingspan, which absolutely got nominated by the listeners. Um, Horrified, which kind of came out of nowhere, was a Target release from Robinsberger and just did some really interesting things with the Universal Movie Monsters. Parks, which was a Kickstarter game uh, featuring the artwork from the 59 Park series. Point Salad, which was a really fun uh, quick card game from AEG that had unique scoring, final scoring that you'd have for every single card in the game. And then Just one, which won the Spiel des Jahres this year and was a just a clever, cooperative word game that kind of iterated on a lot of those word games we've seen of late.
0: Again, I think, you know, we look at the family games. They're, again, a little bit overproduced, especially for a family game. But it makes sense. You want to be able to bring people that are not really into board gaming, especially children who don't really have as much abstract cognitive processing going on. So they really need, do need to see things. You know, I'm going to start off with just one just because I had the opportunity to play this a couple of times with my game group, not necessarily my family, and they enjoyed it. And I and I think it's a fine game. The only problem I have with just one is I've played it before in several other, you know, big box games at this point. So I can't imagine, you know, bringing that to a family game night when we already have that in different formulations. Point salad is a game that I unfortunately have not gotten a chance to play yet, but I think it's a game that I'm going to play a lot just because that mechanic is really something big for me. Parks definitely plays well. It makes a lot of sense that this would be on here, especially for a family game horrified. You know, it's a hit and miss for me. I generally think it's a, a good game. It makes a lot of sense for what it is. And then obviously wingspan. Uh, I don't know necessarily, I mean, I, I guess wingspan can play with a large group of people, but for me, when I think of families playing a you know a game, I, I guess you could play this with children, but I, I think children are just going to get destroyed in a way that's just not fun for them. So I guess if I'm looking for a game that I'm going to play with the family that I have not played before and it's something in their loop, I'm probably going to go with Parks, just because it's a simple mechanic that's in play here the artwork is really evocative and it's something that actually children could play yeah i think wingspan's a little bit on the heavier
1: end for children i think they say 10 plus uh i think my eight-year-old could probably work his way around it but i'd have to go easy on him because he wouldn't really get all the the combos that you can pull together where it does excel is for like older family members like if you're playing with non-gamers in their 60s they're gonna love this (laughs) which is why it got in the New York times and the wall street journal and all these places because well-deserved absolutely. Uh, For this particular category, especially against these games, I think I agree with you. I really liked parks. It does a lot of good things. It's very quick and easy to teach the children. It's really pretty to look at. And the thing I loved most about it is that, I could show my kids, and this is specific to me, but it's one reason I liked it. I can show my kids, like, I've been to this park, I've been to this park, you've been to this park, (laughs) you know, this is where I'm from, this is the mountain I could see outside my window when I was a kid. That was so cool to me, you know? And it's right neck and neck with Horrified, and I was, like, leaning towards Horrified, but, you know, like, your description of parks, I think I'm going to go with that, just because, and just, you know, we'll be unanimous on this one, because it is just... I could teach this to anybody and it just has like that extra layer, the the aesthetic layer on top of it.
0: And I just think horrified because it does use the classic movie monsters, which I don't think is frightening for children necessarily, but I don't think they are going to get it. I do think that you have to be somewhat of a slightly older age to appreciate the classic movie monsters that are used here to get the most out of it, where parks, I think kids would actually be able to play that and appreciate that in a way that they really just couldn't do with any other game. All right, Anthony, so we took it easy on the family. Let's get a little, a little, little heavier here. <laughs> Let's talk about some uh, heavy strategy games. Yeah,
1: we're just going to swing to the opposite side. We're not doing any medium weight games. It's all slightly hey. heavy. <laughs> hey, the family had their
0: shot at this. Yeah, no, this is,
1: it's our <laughs> turn now. It's game night. Uh, That's right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys know the drill. These are the games we love to talk about. These are the big ones that we look forward to getting to our table. There are a couple that just didn't make this list because we simply have not played them yet. On Mars just came in for both of us last week. Maracaibo, I think between the two of us, we have one play in. Uh, There's a few others that came in like through SN the end of the year, just haven't played yet. So they're not here. That's why. Uh, (laughs) The games we have played, though, we have City of the Big Shoulders. This is the mashup of worker placement, euro mechanics and 18xx style uh, stock management. We have Black Angel, which is also kind of a mashup of the the dice management of Trois with the kind of ship movement of Selenia and a couple other mechanics thrown in there for good measure, like managing your own personal technology board and everything else. Um, we have Escape Plan, which is quote unquote Lacerda's light game, but it's still like a 3.8 on the scale. So it's still a heavy enough game on this list um, where you're trying to get as much loot as you can from the city and then escape uh, before the police catch up to you. We have Barrage, the newest game from Simone Luciani, about managing water through all these dams in this kind of convoluted looking map and building out your own personal tableau to kind of manage that and get the resources you need to maximize the value from what happens on the board. And then Trismegistus, which is a new, the newest game from Daniel Ticini, Luciani's design partner and a lot of stuff, about alchemy and taking all these resources that you generate and jamming them together to create other resources to complete various cards and formulas throughout the game so lots and lots of heavy good stuff here what do you think
0: well i think as you mentioned i got a chance to play on mars and if i actually got it to the table enough i'd probably make it on this list just because it really is a brain burner so to speak uh you know trismegistus is great it's a little muddled when you play through it just because the rule book and there's no player rate, so to speak. But otherwise, it's it's not really as complicated as the rules and the setup and the iconography and the artwork would make you believe, so to speak. So I th- I think for Trism and for me at least, the heaviness comes in as far as just the clutterness mm-hmm. of that game. Uh, Barrage, I remember playing this last PAX Unplugged and i enjoyed it i know you didn't enjoy nope. it as much that <laughs> uh and then uh, again there was a little you know problems here and there with the game itself it is definitely in the heavy side category because of all the choices that are that are out there and available to you and especially there's a lot of just kind of like you got to move things in order to do things and okay escape plan uh vitaliserta not on the heavy side so to speak so it's a little odd that it definitely deserves to be in here but it definitely is not as heavy as other vitaliserta games so it's almost a little weird that it's here at the same point uh i don't know did you get a chance to play escape plan anthony yeah i've played it a few times and it's it's got the same
1: feel as all of his games and like there's multiple systems that interact with each other and you can't ignore any uh-huh. of them so it is sure <laughs> it is heavy in that sense right like it's not difficult to learn but it takes a bit but it's sure. short right the game is like 90 minutes it long it's the shortest game in my opinion and i it makes it hard to call it a heavy game because of how short it is and how streamlined it ends up being at the end but it's still a lot going on like compared
0: to a lot of other games it's still heavy so how about uh black angel i didn't did not get a chance to play that yet. yeah
1: black angel is uh I kind of was obsessed with this game in August when it first came out. This is like the game I hunted down at Gen Con first. It's the one I got in line for. It's the one I ran over to pick up. It's the first one I played when I got back from Gen Con. I think I played it seven times in August. And then I've played it a few times since then. I love it. Like, and I loved Twa already, which I know you didn't necessarily like. So it was kind of like a natural flow into this one. But just all the extra stuff they added on top of it. It did make it super difficult to learn. But once you get it all in there, it was just the smooth experience for me. And it was very, very tight, which is what I liked about Twa.
0: Yeah, and I think Last City of the Big Shoulders, a lot of complexity as far as trying to reach an 18 double X level of complexity in an economic game with stocks, yet none of the train situations that you usually have to deal with or the blandness of of the general map here. Uh, I, I think each and every one of these games deserves to be here. It's kind of hard. They're all different flavor ice cream, so to speak. Uh, man, I, I I don't know. They're, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm going to have to step away or abstain from the Black Angel argument just because I hadn't got a chance to play it. I have played every other game listed on here. I guess for me on the heavy side, it's going to be City of the Big Shoulders just because it is a clean game to play when you sit down and play the game, it thematically plays out like it should. Whereas Trismegistics barrage and even escape plan on some level, you know, it's, it's, it, it tends to walk you around the long way, Yeah, <laughs> which is which is like, Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go with city of the big shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean,
1: of these five games, uh, three of them are in my top 10 for the year. And I'd probably the other two are probably like right after the top 10. I have a decent number of lighter games on my list this year. I was kind of surprised when I built it. But Black Angel is the lowest of the three. Then sure, Trismegistus and one spot above Trismegistus is City of the Big Shoulders. Like those two are like neck and neck for me. And sure. the reason I picked City of the Big Shoulders a little bit higher is because A, I've been playing a little bit of 18xx lately. So I just kind of like that mechanic. I love the stock management of it. Um, this is not 18xx like everything goes into those but it feels a lot like no. it in a simpler package sure. so it's just more accessible right and i just i love the asymmetry of the different companies and all these different things you can do with it it's it's a lot of fun i've played it more than any of the rest of these as well except for black angel so yeah it's at the top of my list as well all right so it is city of the big
0: shoulders All right, Anthony, how about the most overlooked
1: gem? Yeah, this was a fun one to put together. And part of this is just like games I brought back from, I guess, just Gen Con, because that's the one convention I went to this year. Mm -hmm. And just my group loved them. I've been playing them. I've had a lot of fun with them, but just don't see a lot of talk about them in a lot of places. So the first one on the list, which I think is just a fabulous game, uh, and I'm surprised I haven't seen it pop up more places, is Shobu. This is from Mm -hmm. Smirk and Laughter, our buddy Kurt over with Smirk and Laughter and Smirk and Dagger. And it's mm-hmm. it's an abstract game. You move little stones around the board, you try to capture each other, push them off the map, and that's it. But it just feels like a game that's been around for a thousand years. It's just so well done. Um, Bosk is another abstract game in which you are placing trees onto this big grid and then dropping different leaves around the trees based on the wind that blows and the specific numbers that you play out. It's kind of an area control game in the end. Undaunted Normandy is a two-player card game uh, about World War II in which you have cards that you place out that represent your units, and the value of those units is going to change based on other things that you do throughout the game. Cartographers is a flip and write where you flip over a card and you draw um, the different shapes that it shows on these cards on your map. It has a really cool way that you interact with other players by passing your pad to the left whenever a monster attacks. And then a mule was this just I've not seen this anywhere else from stronghold games plays up to eight people. And it's a drafting and card purchasing um, game in which you build out a tableau in front of you, but the cards in your hand, some of them score if you have them at the hand at the end, and some score if they're on the table at the end, so you have to kind of manage your hand throughout the game and make sure you have stuff where it needs to be to maximize your points. So all five of these are fantastic and would be, you know, games that I would pick for this award.
0: Well, I think you did a great job, especially in this category here. You know, when you talk about the most overlooked gem, I've overlooked all of these games. (laughs) (laughs) I did come close once to playing Cartographers, and it was our Extra Life event that we did this year. And since I was running the Extra Life event, I did not get a chance to play this. So, Anthony, I'm going to have to leave this up to you and our listeners here. So what do you think? Yeah, I think... If I was going to guess which of these you'd like, I would think
1: you'd probably like a mule because of the tableau building. Cartography is, Cartography is just a really clever little game. And then mm-hmm. the rest are kind of more abstract. So I guess it would depend on the situation. For me, the game I played the most, the one I had the most fun um, playing and the one that I've rated the highest, as well as the listeners, I believe they picked this one at the top as well, is Shobu. Um, Bosque was a close second. And then we actually had a bunch of people write in and add additional games through the, you know, suggestion options. But Mm -hmm. Shobu is just such a good game. And I really want more people to pick this one up and check it out. It's like 20 bucks, too. And it comes with little stones. It just feels like feels great.
0: All right. Well, there you go. All right, Anthony. So we talked a little bit earlier about 2019 and how Kickstarter had a real big impact. So what about the best Kickstarter of the year? This was another one with a ton of entries because there have been a
1: lot of Kickstarters. And, you know, you can tell who our audience is too because I know there's a lot of buzz around Tainted Grail and Time of Legend Destiny and stuff like that, and they didn't get a ton of votes. So they're not on our list. They're not games either one of, either one of us have played either. So unfortunately, it's not stuff we can talk about. So if you're screaming at your uh, phone right now that we're not talking about like the big $250 Kickstarters that ship this year...
0: Sorry, we didn't play them. <laughs> so, um, I mean, if they if they want to send them to us to review, then yes, yes, we can conclude them. But yeah, then one of us is not going to have to eat for a week if we have to buy one of those. Yeah. So, you know,
1: reason this is the problem with like the Kickstarter rush is that we can only afford so many of these. And if they're not at cons, we don't play them. So that is the problem. But the ones we have played between the two of us are Paladins of the West Kingdom, Pax mm-hmm. Pamir, second edition,
0: Parks, Gugong, and Villagers. All right. So for me here, I'm going to go again from back, going back to the front. Villagers. Villagers was really interesting because it was a very big supply chain management game in a very small box. And it came with some expansions, I guess, at least with the Kickstarter, which are essential when you play the game. I would never play the game without the expansions just because it provides a full experience. And with the Kickstarter, it had wood coins, which were different. Didn't really care for the graphic design on the coins, but the fact that they were wood, different, and they played very well because you actually did use them in the games. Can't tell you how many games I have where you spend all this money on these metal coins and they barely play a part. Well, the coins are actually very useful here. Gugan, I know, Anthony, for you, it was a little bit more of a game. Uh, I did not enjoy the game. Just because, I guess, once again, since I didn't get the full production playthrough, it just fell very flat. It was a very simple game. Parks we talked about previously, more on the simple side, so to speak. It doesn't seem to really fit the kind of Kickstarter model. PAX Premier 2nd Edition, unfortunately, because it was a Kickstarter, I still have not gotten a chance to play this or even pick this up. I know you're a big fan of it. Paladins of the West Kingdom, I played several times. It is the best In that kind of, you know, middle of the road, you know, in this area, kind of the spot with doing the same thing that it did with its other games, (laughs) and it does it the best. Uh, for me, it's gonna be villagers, just because you got so much in such a little space, and the components were so good, not just the coins, but also there are other wooden components in the game that fits very well. And the arts, pretty iconic. Yeah, Villagers was a lot of fun. This was like a pleasant surprise for me. I did
1: actually back it and I didn't remember backing it. And so when it showed up, I was excited because I'm like, ooh, fun little tableau builder. And it was a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) Gugong kind of grew on me. I think my original review was like, it's okay, It's a light play. And then I played it a whole bunch over the the following four months. And I'm like, actually, this is uh, one of my favorite midweight games for this year. Parks we already talked about. Great family game uh paladins of the west kingdom i was pleasantly surprised because architects faded for me so quickly like i love the idea Mm -hmm. of architects but after two or three plays i'm like i get it i'm done with this pax premier second edition though what a game this is and i think if you had played this you would love it because it is a tableau builder Mm -hmm. and it has a map and it has some area control elements but it's really all about maximizing the value of the cards that you put in front of you and how you interact with other players The scoring is ridiculously tight. I've ended games where the winner had five points. It's just it's just so intricate and tightly wound. And the way the three factions work and how you can switch factions and people can be part of any of the three factions. But like where you are in that dichotomy is it's kind of what ends up deciding how you play the game. It's such a good game. Mm. So for me, it's got to be packed from second edition like this this year combined with root last year. I think Cole Worley is quickly becoming one of my favorite designers.
0: All right. So that leaves it up to our listeners, Anthony, what do they have to say? Well, the listeners voted for Paladins. um, (laughs) So
1: they don't agree with either one of us. Uh, Second place on that list, though, was PAX premier second edition and villagers. That one's almost could have been on our overlooked list because I think Mm -hmm. not enough people got a
0: chance to play that one. All right. So it looks like a three-way tie there. So you know, it was a good year for Kickstarter, so to speak. And as you mentioned, Villagers was a little bit on the, I wouldn't say the lighter side, so to speak, but definitely on the lighter of the of the sides. And then obviously, PAX Premier 2nd Edition, the heavy, crunchy, super fun game. And then from our listeners, Paladins of the West Kingdom. All right, so let's talk about the category that really I've been looking forward to. And I think what defines 2019 as a year which you were talking about earlier anthony the best 2.0 releases of the year yeah like i said earlier this is
1: the list wasn't quite as long as our kickstarter list but every game on this list is good right and not that every game wasn't good on the kickstarter list but like every game i've played on this list and i played most of them i'm like these are all really good games like i could see any of these winning so the five that we picked out of the 12 or so that we asked you guys to to help nominate were Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North, Pax Pamir, 2nd edition, Marco Polo 2, Black Angel, and Glenmore 2 Chronicles. So all of these were sequels or reimaginings of mechanics from earlier games, and they're all pretty evident, except for Black Angel again was from Twa.
0: <laughs> yeah, this was definitely a year of the 2.0s, Glenmore's second edition Chronicles I got a chance to play and it does play very much like Glenmore not radically different but definitely a graphical upgrade it does have some additions that you could add to it what came with the Kickstarter here so big fan of that Black Angel have not gotten a chance to play yet as we talked about earlier but definitely a graphical interface and some different mechanics from the original Toi marco polo 2 you are traveling my friend so if you were looking forward to traveling marco polo 2 does it pax second edition i know anthony will get into that in detail which we just talked about and was his favorite game for the kickstarters empires of the north did not get a chance to play that unfortunately and i guess finally imperial settlers empires of the north i know that's a big one for you anthony you played that right yeah
1: absolutely this was a uh... Reimagining of the mechanics from Imperial Settlers in a new format where all the decks are pre-built and they match up to four very different approaches to the game. It combines a rondelle style action mechanic too. So you have the actions on your cards, but you also have multiple actions you can take on this rondelle throughout the game that are in addition to those card actions. Plus you can go raiding and pull new cards into your deck and into your tableau, Lots and lots of cool ideas. It shortens the game. It simplifies a lot of the drafting mechanic. It takes care of it still has take that elements, but it doesn't make it quite as brutal as it was Imperial Settlers where someone could just pick on somebody. It's a really, really good reimplementation of Imperial Settlers. I still don't know if I like it more than the original, but it's up there.
0: Yeah, for me, I, I think the game that I'm going to go with, especially if it's going to be a 2.0 version, it's going to do something different and hopefully better than the previous edition i guess it's going to be marco polo 2 because usually when you're doing a new version if it's a whole new game there is a lot of problems where the game can go completely out of control and i think it does the right thing here I, i i think that here serving the cons so to speak it keeps everything that's good from the original marco polo and expands upon it and really the only weakness is is that it's not as tight which again i think for some gamers is a welcomed experience so marco polo 2 for me here has the best 2.0 releases of the year this might be my hardest
1: category um <laughs> like glenmore 2 i think is the only one i haven't played out of these five and the four that i have played i like a lot um have had a chance to play marco polo 2 now since you talked about it last time and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. I really, really enjoy it. I mean, it's the Marco Polo formula, I know, but a little bit better in certain ways. Hmm. And in other ways, not so much. But for a game that's in my top 10 of all time, that's pretty solid, right? Yeah. Next year, in my top 100, I'm probably just going to put Marco Polo/Marco Polo slash Marco Polo 2 because it's <laughs> they're both going to stay here and I'll just what mood I'm in, right? Black Angel is fantastic. But to me, that does feel like almost enough of a new game because it is it is a 2.0 take on toi, but it mashes up a bunch of mechanics from other stuff. So in the end, it comes between Imperial Settlers and Pax Pamir. And I honestly, I just don't even know which one I would pick. It's really difficult. I'm going to go with Imperial Settlers, I think, just because it is. It does so much with that formula. Imperial Settlers is one of my favorite games of all time, and it is decently hard to get to the table because of the issues the game has, which I'll admit, I just they don't bother me, but they bother other people, mm. admittedly. This one is shorter, so it takes care that people it's not going to go three or four hours and it works well with four people. No one has to worry about deck building. There's not as much worry about like the common pool of cards. Hmm. It fixes all the issues that other people have that I have to admit and therefore not bring my one of my favorite games to the table. So this one's easier to get out. And that for me is really what a 2.0 should do. Pax Premier is fantastic, but it's not like Pax Premier was something I was trying to hit the table with originally. I'd never played it before. This is my introduction to the game. So I'm going to go with Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North.
0: All right. Does that mean our listeners are able to break the tie, Anthony? This time they are. Yeah, one way or the other. So uh, Imperial Settlers, (laughs) Empires of the North
1: got 32% of the vote in our poll. Marco Polo 2 is actually second place with 14%. So I think you and I are kind of in sync with them on this one.
0: Sounds good. All right, so for our final category, our big category, so for 2019, the BGA Awards, the Game of the Year category. What do we have here, Anthony? All right, we have, and this is 10 games because
1: the list is obviously much longer. We have Wingspan, Marvel Champions, the card game, City of the Big Shoulders, Tiny Towns, Res Arcana, Pipeline, Pax Premier 2nd Edition, Gugong, Just One, and Watergate. and. As we were talking, I just wanted to point out because I noticed this when I was looking through this. Only three of these 10 are actually Kickstarter games, which is kind of impressive considering everything we just talked about.
0: Yeah, this is a very diverse list. I don't think typically in a year when we look at the big top 10, they're usually about the same type of game. But here we're kind of all over this place wingspan marvel champions the card game big oh man there's just a lot of different things this year and a wide range from light to super heavy you know this year as i mentioned was not really a standout year so to speak because there were a lot of games that we were waiting to come in through kickstarter and there were a lot of 2.0 version releases so we kind of had an idea or a feel for those games and they really didn't blow us away so to speak because again we had seen them before or we had seen the mechanics before, but if there was a game that really kind of blew me away and blew people away at the table to the point where the game kept coming out again and again, and was a surprising success for especially what it was trying to do and really didn't have any particular flaws, I guess other than the fact that you should always play the full version and not the light version it's going to be city of the big shoulders. I think it just does so many things right. It reaches a level of complexity, but at no point does it feel overwrought or overstay its welcome. Thematically, the gameplay makes sense, and it really gives you that level of intensity, especially if someone's going to take over your company at some point. So the game really offers a little bit of everything and an experience that I definitely wouldn't want to come back to in the future. <laughs> it is. It's difficult to say,
1: like, which of these are the best, which ones do I enjoy the most? And in the end, it came down to, for me, City of the Big Shoulders and PAX Premier 2nd Edition. PAX Premier, uh, I I talked about that at length for the Kickstarter of the year, um, why I like that one there. City of the Big Shoulders, of course, is just a fantastic take on several different types of mechanics jammed together and just introducing people to all these new ideas and, like, what 18xx is built on and just it's very familiar in that way. I'm gonna go ahead and go with City of the Big Shoulders, um, the type of game in general that I wanna
0: recommend to people. All right, so for BGA's 2019 game of the year, City of the Big Shoulders. All right, so that's everything for 2019. Until 2020, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat in the new year. listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower network dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip sync. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com.